You are listening to the podcast of Richland Hills Baptist Church. We are located in Richland Hills, Texas. Our desire here is to believe, live, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. As you're listening to our podcast today, if you have any questions, you can find us on the web at richlandhillsbc.com. God bless you. If you have your Bible open to James chapter 5, verses 19 through 20. We're at the end of James. We've been walking through this book together for a good part of this year. And we've been looking at what it means to have faith in action. What does it mean to live out what we believe? So again, you can open your Bible to James 5, 19 through 20. If you need a Bible, there's one in front of you. A few years ago, a movie came out called Hacksaw Ridge. And it was about Desmond Doss during the Second World War. And Desmond Doss was a, a soldier, but he actually was a conscientious objector. He was a medic. He didn't believe in killing. He didn't believe in having a gun. And he wouldn't. This was a big deal during the Second World War, and he suffered because of it. Many of his fellow soldiers weren't happy about that, but he stayed true to his beliefs. He stayed true to what he believed. It came to be that they went to Japan, and at the Battle of Okinawa, there was a place there called Hacksaw Ridge. And different troops were climbing up there to try to take back this area, and they weren't able to do it. There was a lot of casualties, a lot of death. And Desmond is with the troops, and they're up there. And as they're going through that, many people have, have died. Many soldiers are injured. Desmond Doss, a medic, no weapon, no way to defend himself. He goes in the thick of it. He goes in while there are bullets flying, destruction all around, and he begins to save men that were wounded. He carries a man back and he carries it to the ledge and they, he configures this rope system and he lowers them down. And then you know what he prays after every soldier he saves? Lord, give me one more. And then he went back up. And Desmond Doss did this, and I believe it was 75 men that he saved. 75 men that he saved, and each time praying, Lord, give me one more. No weapon, no way to defend himself. He kept going. He kept, why? Why did he do that? Why did he risk his life? That's what his job was. As a medic, that's what he was called to do. And he did it with no way that he could have, again, defended himself. But he did it because that was his job and those were his men. It's an amazing story. But it also reminded me of something else. When he prayed, when he said, Lord, give me one more, he, his whole job was to go and save the, those that were dying. Had he not have gotten to them, they would have surely died. 
But he knew that he had to go. And this morning, as we consider James chapter 5, verses 19 through 20, we're also going to be, we're also going to see something. We're going to see something about our job as believers is to go after those that are spiritually injured, to go after the wandering, to go after those within our body, within the faith of Christ, that we are called to go after them. We don't just leave them there to die. We don't just let people go and not care. We, we go after those, again, that are hurt. And I want us to see this main idea. If our brothers and sisters fall away, we are called to a rescue mission. When our brothers and sisters in Christ fall away, we are called to rescue. Let's hear from James 5, 19 through 20. My brothers, if any among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Father, may you guide our time this morning. May your word speak to us Lord may you show us what we need to see in Jesus name Amen one of the key things we had to start out right at the right at the top when we've talked about James when we've looked at this book the thing you have to see and understand is that when we talk about the church when we talk about a body of Christ the church is not a country club. The church is not a, just a group of people that come together. The church is not some sort of entertainment venue. The church is a body. We're a family. We're more than just people that happen to be together at the same place at 1030 on Sundays. I mean, we are a family. And I want you to think about this, and I'm going to come down so our, our video guy, you, everybody gets nervous. We got Hoyt here. This is Hoyt. Hoyt is your brother in Christ. And then we have Miss Ann. Ann is your sister in Christ. Anne is not just somebody that's here. Anne is a part of the spiritual family. We could go on and on, right? We could go to every person. We could say, we are a family. And this is important because in families, families operate different than other things, right? A family operates different than even your workplace. Your family operates different than your doctor's office. Like when you're at your doctor's office, the people in the waiting room, they're just other people that are there. You might get to know them, but they're not your family. And so when, when James, you have to see that, right? Because, because when I point out Hoyt and Ann, and then you have David and, and Joseph and John, these people aren't just names on a page. These are people that our hearts should be connected to. 
These are people that our hearts are interwoven together. That, that's what a church is. A church is not just random people. It's people that our hearts, through faith in Jesus Christ, our hearts are knit together. And so, when one of our brothers and sisters is hurt, when their heart is broken, what happens? We should feel that. We should grieve with one another. We cry with one another, that song points out. And so we are a family. But James here is going to tell us something about a family. He's going to tell us something that we have to remember. He says, my brothers, if any among you wanders from the truth, what does he mean by that if someone wanders from the truth? James is saying, listen, if there's somebody in your body, somebody in your, in your congregation, and you think about as we're reading it today, if there's somebody that we love and they, and they wander away from that truth, that word wander it carries the meaning of going astray. If someone we know goes astray and they, they wander away, so what are they wandering away from? They're wandering away from the truth. So somebody you know, if, if somebody we love, if they, they start to wander away from believing the gospel of Jesus Christ, so in one sense they wander away in their belief, in their thoughts, in their faith. They begin to question the truth of God's word. They begin to question the truth of the gospel. They begin to say, no, I don't know that I believe that, and they wander away spiritually. And then there's other people who wander away in sin. They, they say, you know what, I, I don't want to live this way anymore. I don't want to do this whole thing. I, I want to live the way that I want to live. And sometimes there's people that wander away in sin. They begin to go a different direction. They say, I want to do this. And sometimes in a body, in a family, in a Christian family, people will go astray sometimes. You likely know somebody that has gone astray. You likely know someone in your life that used to be a part of a body and then they just went astray. Maybe they never publicly said anything, but you know that they don't follow Christ like they did at one time. And so James says when someone, he says if someone goes astray, if anyone wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back. So we see that some people will go astray, it will happen, but then he says we are called we're gonna br somebody's going to bring them back and says, if someone wanders and someone brings him back. Think about your biological family. Now, I know there's all types of different families, and I know there's different dynamics in every family, so this might not fit every situation. But if there's somebody in your biological family 
and they begin to wander, I'll think of a child or a grandchild, and they begin to wander off and they begin to do something they shouldn't, don't you feel called in your family to go after your child or your grandchild? Of course you do. Now, I know that sometimes, in some ways, it's going to be difficult and hard, and at some point you can't forever. But initially, when somebody you love, when your child begins to go in the wrong direction or the wrong crowd or do something they shouldn't, you, you go after them. That's what parents do, right? It's the same way in our fellowship. If somebody we love, and they begin to wander away, you and I are called to go after them. What does that mean? This morning, Sarah, she, thank you, Sarah, for reading, by the way, she read in Matthew the parable of the lost sheep. And I want you to note something that there, you see the parable of the lost sheep in Luke and Matthew. And they both, I believe, are there for a particular reason, but they both have a different emphasis. And you can go back and read it yourself to see. In the Gospel of Luke, the emphasis, the lost sheep, the one that's astray, seems to be a lost person, somebody who has never trusted in Jesus Christ. You go after the lost. You go after that person that's never believed, and you go and you share Christ with them. That's the emphasis in Luke. In Matthew, I believe the emphasis are those that are wandering away from the faith that they once professed. Because we're going to see both. There's going to be people we go after to share Jesus with them and we want them to believe, but then also we'll see people that begin to walk away. So how do we go after somebody? What do we do? Well, we physically go to them. We go to their house. We take them to lunch. We take them to coffee. We, we physically try to sit down with somebody and say, okay, why, why are you believing this? Or why are you doing this? And you, you try to find out. That's loving. Now, sometimes people will reject you. But you try. And sometimes what you'll find out is there's more going on in a person's life than meets the eye. That's always the case, isn't it? Sometimes you'll find out that somebody's struggling with some sort of illness or grief. Or maybe they have some sort of addiction or struggle that, that nobody knew and they're struggling and they're going through that. And sometimes you can help them walk through that. Because oftentimes, and listen, even in my own life, and I think we're all guilty of it, we hide things from people, don't we? We don't want people to see the struggle, so we come to church, we're happy, we smile, and we don't share that struggle. And sometimes what happens is it becomes too great, and then we just kind of fall apart, and we leave. And so we go to somebody and we, we find out, we, we try to see what we can do to help. 
A lot of times you'll find that when we do that, they'll come back. Then we also, we pray. We pray with them because the other thing is sometimes what people are struggling with is doubt. Sometimes people are struggling with doubt. And listen, the worst thing that you can do for a person struggling for doubt is to say, why are you doubting? Just believe. Listen, when someone is struggling with doubt, just saying just believe is not this magic phrase that's going to get them to believe. You have to help them. You have to talk with them. You have to let, you have to let them express their struggles. In the book of Jude, we are, we are told to be merciful to those who doubt. We're to show mercy to those that are doubting and struggling. But condemning somebody for doubting, oh, a true Christian doesn't doubt, someone might say. Or why are you doubting? That's, that's foolish. Just believe. Again, that's not what you do. You, you help them. You show love to them. Again, you pray with them. And so you do all that you can to help them come back. You, you physically go to them. You pray with them. You help them. You, when you pray with them, you get the body to pray with them. And so the idea is, if one of you is to wander away, then one of us in the body should initiate some sort of rescue mission, if you will. Say, okay, I, you know what? I'm not going to be okay that so-and-so is just gone and off on their own. Why don't we always do that, though? I've been in church a long time, several different churches. And sometimes we don't do that. We just kind of say, well, I don't, you know, I don't want to be offensive or I don't want to step on anybody's toes. And we let people go. And then the world sucks them in. It's hard to get them back. So, we have to break through and realize, no, this is the greatest act of love that we could ever show to somebody is to go after them when they wander away. And James is going to tell us the spiritual implications. He said, if you bring back someone, let them know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death. And we'll cover a multitude of sins. So James is, he's going to really paint this picture. And he's going to say, listen, the reason this is a big deal, the reason that you need to do this, the reason that you go after somebody that's in error or wandering away or in some, some sort of sin, is that by doing so, you would save them from death. You will save them you will save his soul from death. And this is a spiritual death that James is talking about. 
be separated from God. You may say, whoa, pastor, wait a second. We believe once saved, always saved. So you can't tell me, pastor, that this person's soul will be in danger of spiritual death. That's what we believe. Well, hold on just a second. I prefer the phrase eternal security, not once saved, always saved. Because sometimes that phrase, once saved, always saved, is sort of referring to this moment where somebody does something religious. They, they walk down, they shake the preacher's hand, they get baptized, and we say, okay, that's the day they were saved. And because they did this religious thing, they'll always be Christians. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that Salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ, not religion. It's that inward belief. And so I'm going to tell you something. Somebody can do all the religious things but not truly have belief. Someone can put their name on the membership card. They might even say, I'm a Christian. But it's what somebody believes in their heart. And so in that sense, the evidence of somebody believing is do they believe till the end? Do they continue in belief? First John says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that all are not of us. There will be some that might claim Christianity, but they don't, they don't continue. And they fall away. And so eternal security is for those who have truly believed in Jesus Christ. What we will find out is it looks like some people lose their salvation, but they don't lose it because they never had it. They never truly believed. Maybe they claimed to, maybe they said they did, but if you, someone truly believes, they continue to the end. So what James's point here is, listen, we need to go after them. We bring them back. Because if we don't and we let them go, then that might be evidence that they never believed and they are in danger of being separated from God forever. So sometimes when we help somebody that's wandering away, one thing that we do is we share the gospel with somebody. You might say, why would I share the gospel with somebody that's been in church their whole life? You can be in church your whole life and not truly understand. There are testimony after testimony of people who sit in churches their whole life and they will tell you, I didn't really understand. And so when someone wanders away, we share Christ, we share the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that even though you and I, we are sinful people, we are separated from God, we are broken people. That you and I can be reconciled to the Father through the work of His Son, Jesus Christ. Through His shed blood on the cross, that if we will believe in Jesus and put our faith in Jesus, 
Not in our works. Not in our religion. Not in our baptism. But in Jesus Christ. The problem is too many people are trying to believe in Jesus and add something to belief. Saying, well, I believe Jesus and I'm also a good person. I, I believe Jesus, but I'm also a Sunday school teacher. I believe in Jesus, but I'm also a deacon. I believe in Jesus, but I also tithe really good to the church. I believe in Jesus and I read the Bible every day. Listen, all those things are good, but none of them, not one of those things will affect your eternal standing with God without Jesus Christ. You could be on the role of a Baptist church your whole life, but if you don't have your faith in Jesus, and so that's the gospel, that we will put our faith in Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection. Believe in him, trust in him and him alone. All those other things, they're good, but they aren't saving. And so we share the gospel with somebody, and we may find that they didn't truly believe, but we might find is that maybe they did truly believe, they just need help. One of the great sins, I think, of the modern church, and I would be right a part of it, is we don't always help people in discipleship. We don't always help one another grow in faith. We see people on Sundays, we wave to them, but we don't always try to help. Let me ask you this. When's the last time you had a spiritual conversation with somebody in our church, not about just the Bible, but when's the last time you heard somebody's Christian story? When's the last time you asked, how can I pray, not for your physical health, we, last week we talked about it, we pray for our physical health, that's good. But when's the last time you asked how you could pray for somebody's spiritual health? When's the last time you had a deep conversation with someone in the body here about your struggles in your faith? And I don't say this as a condemnation. I don't say this as, oh, look, you should do this or that. I'm just, it's a reality is this is the great sin is that we're so separated from one another that we don't know that somebody's at the point of wandering away until they're long gone. And sometimes someone could be gone for weeks and months before we even notice. And I'll be honest, I will, I will confess to you that I too, even as your pastor, I, as I thought about this, text this week I too have let people wander away I too have failed at this but John, James is saying there's an urgency here we can't let this happen we go after people we help them we share the gospel with them 
And he says, when we do that, you just need to know that when you bring a sinner back, you're saving their soul from death, and you're also, it's going to cover a multitude of sins. Because inevitably, what's going to happen is if somebody wanders away, and maybe they wander into some sin, they're going to be ashamed to come back. They're going to say, I I can't go back there. I've messed up too much. I've wandered too far. I've done too many things that I shouldn't have, and I'm I'm ashamed, and I've I've gone too far. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Remember the prodigal son? He goes far away. He spends all his daddy's inheritance. Wild living. Here this Jewish boy finds himself eating the pods of a pig. He's going to go back. But he doesn't think he can go back as a son. But what does the father do? The father receives him as a son. And so we need to always remind people, no matter how far we go, our God is merciful and forgiving. But we have to, we have to come back. We have to confess our sins. But if we do, He's faithful. But let me ask you this. Are we going to welcome people back? Are we going to welcome people back? Maybe not necessarily from our church, but maybe they've drifted away and maybe they got into some sin or lifestyle that maybe we don't like. Are we going to What are we going to do? Obviously, we help them know the right biblical thing to do, so we help them know how to turn from their sin, but are we going to sit there in judgment and say, look at you, look what you did. You made a mess out of your life. You did wrong. Or are we going to welcome them back and say, listen, God loves you and so do I. And let's work on this together. What kind of church are we going to be? Are we going to welcome back the wandering? Or are we going to send them down the street? Are we going to welcome back the broken? Or are we going to send them to the world to get fixed? Are we going to welcome back the doubting? Or are we going to send them to the internet to find all their answers? How are we going to respond? And so I want us to see as, as we kind of close this, this sermon. We are responsible for each other. 
when you become a member of Richland Hills Baptist Church, or when you come and you're part of our body, you are saying, I am now responsible to other people, and I'm also responsible for other people. Now, ultimately, God's responsible, but we bear responsibility. Like, that's what it means to be a member. That's what it means to be a fellow member here is that we are now, we are saying, listen, we are knit together. But with that responsibility, we have to take it seriously. And some people might say, well, I don't want that. I don't, I don't want that. I, you know what? I'm just going to go somewhere else where, where I can just kind of sit in the back and, you know, not have to really worry about all this. You're going to do a great disservice to yourself. Because listen, in my life, one of the greatest joys, one of the greatest helps is there's been people in my life, in the churches I've been a part of, that have walked alongside of me, and they've helped me, they've encouraged me, they've prayed with me, they've prayed for me. They've encouraged. You're going to miss that if you walk away. In the world, they may accept you for a little while, but the world is not going to give all that to you. The prodigal son found that out the hard way, didn't they? They're going to spit you up and chew you out. But we, as God's people, we're supposed to love you and help you and encourage you. And that is what I pray that we find here at Richland Hills. So where are you at this morning? Are you wandering? Right, so a preacher, I'm right here. You can be wandering in your mind. You can be here in body, but not here in spirit. Are you wandering? Or are you wandering too, maybe? You're wandering and wondering. You have questions. You have doubts. You're not sure if you believe what... We believe you're struggling spiritually. If that's you, then you need to tell somebody. Well, I can't do that because then they'll think differently of me and they'll, people won't like me anymore. Well, that's much better than the, the opposite. But you need to you need to share your struggles with somebody because what you may find out is other people have struggled the same way. I would love to help you or somebody else I know would love to help you so you share your struggle. The other thing is, have, have you never believed in Jesus Christ? Maybe you're here this morning and you've never had put your faith in Jesus. Maybe you have never done that. And you say, I need to believe. I need to trust Jesus. I need to begin that journey. I'd love to help you with that. But the last thing is we need to ask ourselves, are there people that have wandered away? And if so, do we need to 
what do we need to do? Are there people in our body that have wandered away? Listen, this wouldn't just be for our church, but one thing that churches in general have found post-COVID, there are many people that stopped coming during COVID and never came back to churches all across the land. And for a while, you know, churches, you just kind of say, well, maybe they're nervous and we're just going to let them be. But the terrible part of it is many people we've let just drift away from the church and we've never gone back after Are there people we need to go after? What are we going to do about it? Remember what James says here. When our brothers and sisters, when they fall away, we're called into a rescue mission. Are you ready for the mission? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the message of the gospel. But Lord, this morning I ask that you would... Lord, you'd help us to see where our need is. Maybe there's somebody here that's wandering spiritually. Father, if there's somebody here that's wandering spiritually, they're struggling, I pray, Lord, that this morning that they would, Lord, they would reach out. Lord, that they would reach out to help, and I pray that whoever they reach out to, Lord, that, Lord, they be welcomed with open arms. So, Lord, I pray that you would work in somebody's heart. If there's somebody here that's never trusted Jesus. May they believe. Lord, I pray that they too would come. But Father, I also believe that this morning there may be people we need to pray for. People that we know that have wandered away from here and maybe other churches. Lord, may we dedicate ourselves this morning to pray and perhaps to commit ourselves to reach out and to see what we can do to bring people back. Not back to religion, but back to faithfully following Jesus. So Lord, I pray that you would show us this morning what it is we need to pray for. In Jesus' name, amen.